This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley. Kathleen Norris is a uh, famous poet and author. She grew up in a small town in South Dakota where she was connected to Christianity, but the Christian message never really took. And so uh, she moved to New York City to become famous, and she did pretty well for herself in the writing world, the, the literary world. And she, uh, as she continued on in her life, she gradually made her way back to Jesus and to his church for the first time in a very real way. She said, though, on her way back to Jesus and his church, she had a major barrier that she hit, a block. She called it, her phrase was, and she used the phrase, a barrage of scary God words is what she called it. And at the top of her list was the word repentance. Think about that word. Repent. It's just not a word that gives you warm fuzzies immediately. It sounds abrupt. It sounds harsh. It sounds like it's going to be really sad. The title of this sermon today is The Joy of Repentance. So I want to get to the joy of repentance. But first, we've got to look at this word of God that came from God to John the Baptist because every Advent, John the Baptist shows up and he's sort of our spiritual guide. He's, he's our mentor in leading us closer to Jesus and in preparing us for Christmas. And at verse 2, you will notice that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Literally, the word came from above and it pressed down on John. It, it weighed on John. It didn't just come to him. It came upon him. And what was the message? Well, the message was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, you might think that Jesus would come along and lighten up a little bit, but he doesn't. So the first thing Jesus says in his public ministry is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. So I want to get to the joy of repentance, because Jesus talked a lot about the joy of repentance. But to get to the joy of repentance, we sort of have to journey through what I will call the need for repentance and the cost of repentance. So let's look at the need for repentance, the cost of repentance, and then the joy of repentance. So the need for repentance. When we were living on Long Island, uh, when we moved there, this couple came to us and they, they were moving and they wanted us to adopt their dog. Uh, the dog was named Dwight and he was, we didn't know what breed he was, they didn't know, but he was all hound. So he was a mutt that was 100% hound. And they told us, this dog can climb chain link fences. So they like demonstrated it, like the dog using its paws and its claws to climb over the fence. And they said, but don't worry, he'll never run away. Both blatant lies. That dog couldn't get over the fence if you push, the only way to do it is carry him over the fence. And secondly, he ran away every chance he got, which was almost every day, with four kids living in the house and people coming and going. He was running every day. So I would see him before he bolted in the undergrowth of our neighborhood in Long Island, went the whole day howling and disrupting the neighbors and having the neighbors complain to us and call the police. And I would look at him, would look him in the eye, and he would look me in the eye. It was a sign of respect he showed me. And I would say, Dwight, don't even think about running. 
you stay in this yard. And he would look at me, and I could see what exactly what he was thinking. I don't read doggy language, but I could just see it on his face. He was thinking, yeah, I should probably stay. I'll get in trouble. I'll get muddy. I'll get really thirsty. I'll be a nuisance. But this time, it's going to be great. I got to be me. I got to sing, I did it my way. And boom, he was gone. Now you're wondering, how did I know what he was thinking? Because that's exactly what I'm thinking in my relationship with God, often. I'm thinking that so fast, so automatic, it's so ingrained, it's so almost unconscious, although it is conscious, but it seems unconscious, it's so fast that that's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, the Bible calls this problem that we have, this Dwighty problem that we have, it calls it sin with a capital S. That's the need for repentance. It's for a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's the problem. Sin is with a capital S. We usually think of just the sins we commit are like, you know, we shop too much, we drink too much, we swear too much, or we don't do enough of this, or we don't do enough of that. Those are sins, and those are bad, but what's even behind that is sin with a capital S, this bent, this orientation that wants to bolt, that feels like bolting, that feels like running. That's what John came to address. There's implications in our relationship with God, and as we're going to hear in next Sunday's reading, there's implications socially with people, with issues of justice and mercy and compassion. We all have this problem. The famous chef and food critic, Anthony Bourdain, who took his own life at the age of 61 just this past June, was a really interesting guy and often had some really insightful things to say. He said in an interview once, here's how he described it, he said, I understand that inside me there is a greedy, gluttonous, lazy hippie. There's a guy inside me who wants to lay in bed and smoke weed all day and watch cartoons and old, and old movies. My whole life, he said, is a series of stratagems to avoid and outwit that guy. Not just... It made me sad to read that. Sad because he didn't outwit that guy. And that's sad. That's nothing to gloat about. That's just sad that a human being felt that way and felt like he had no out. But it's also sad because there's a guy in me. That guy is different than his guy. Your guy or gal or woman is different than his guy. I don't want to, I really have no desire to smoke weed. I don't really like watching old movies. I, I can't relate to that, but I can relate to that guy. I got my own guy, and so do you. That guy is sin with a capital S. The Apostle Paul was talking about that guy inside of him. He has this really moving passage in the book of Romans where he talks about that guy, he says, there's a guy in me that wants to do good, that delights to do good, that wants to be really nice. 
But then he said, there's this other guy in me. And here's how he described it in Romans chapter 7. He said, I see in, I see in my members, that's in all the parts of my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind. The law of my mind wants to do what's right, as Paul said. And that making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's a really strong word, making me captive. So the whole message of Christianity is not, you need to try harder to be a better person. You need to be more moral. You need to be nicer. You need to swear less. You need to do this less. You need to do this more. That's part of it, and that comes, but initially starts with, I don't just need a little tweaking. I need an overhaul. I don't just need somebody to fiddle with my transmission. I need somebody to plop a new transmission in me. I don't just need a little improvement. I need the Navy SEALs to come and rescue me. It's that severe. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what his message is all about. And, in, and John comes along and he says, slow down. Slow down this automatic ingrained process and repent. I haven't defined the word yet, but the word simply means to turn. That's what the original Hebrew word meant in the Old Testament. It's just a very simple word. It means to turn. The Greek word in the New Testament means to change your mind, to do a metamorphosis, to become different. It's to do a U-turn. And here's the thing. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, you never get over it. There's always, because I always have fresh material for God to work with, for which I need to repent. I'm always creating fresh material. And the most holy, best Christians you'll ever meet, they are in a process of repentance. They're not done yet. So that's the need. Then there's the cost of repentance. Look at verse 3 in this, or verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, connecting this message of Jesus with the Old Testament, first word is prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord. If you're going to have a guest come over for Christmas, you're going to have some people come, you're going to have company come for dinner or spend the night, what do you do? You prepare. You go shopping, you clean, you cook, you clean out the guest room. You prepare because a guest is coming. Well, John says, you're preparing the way of the Lord. The most important guest in the whole universe wants to come to you. Now, that's an honor. That's good news. Prepare his way. How do we do that? Well, look at the rest. It says, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And every crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. He's talking about a road, an ancient road that's all out of shape and out of whack. And it needs to be, the potholes need to be filled in. And, and the, the mountains need to be taken out, and it needs to be made smooth so that this important person that's coming to visit your town can just, they don't have a bumpy ride. You wouldn't want that. You want to make things smooth. Now, we all know what American freeways look like, right? They're smooth. We have road construction. Thank goodness for road construction so we can have these smooth roads, and they're straight, and they're clear, and you can go fast. Most places, roads are not like that. I was visiting my son and, and daughter-in-law in Papua New Guinea in the Western Highlands. 
Now those are roads. Those are roads with potholes that you could seriously fit an elephant in. Sideways, you lay it sideways. You could fit a grown elephant in those potholes. That's pretty standard. And they're crooked and they have wicked turns. And one time we were going up on a mountain pass and there's a sheer cliff on this side and there's a mountain on the other side so there's nowhere to go. And you can see that the rain and the weather is wearing away this cliff side. And I was very scared. And I said, if I ever come back here, I do not want to go on this road ever again. This is scary. That's... Here's the bad news. We like to think my spiritual life, eh, I'm kind of like a freeway. I'm easy. God can just zip along on me. Or maybe a nice country road, easy driving. No, we're all a little bit more like a road in Papua New Guinea. Got some serious potholes, got some serious turns, got some serious cliffs that need dealing with. And once we say, Lord, I want to turn, I want to do that U-turn, that is going to cost us. That's going to cost us time of preparation, of preparing, because that's intentional. That requires purpose, intentionality, drive. But it also requires deep vulnerability. It requires repentance, requires or involves us to be vulnerable with God and with other human beings. You know, it's really funny. We start life really vulnerable. I mean, you're a baby, you're vulnerable. You know you need help. We end life, most of us will end life pretty vulnerable. In some point, some way, we'll probably be vulnerable. But then in the middle, we resist, we resent vulnerability. We say, I got it, I got this, I can handle this. When we repent, we say, uh, actually, I don't got it. I can't handle this. Lord, I need your help. And maybe we'll talk to another human being, we'll say, look, I need to do a U-turn in my life and I need some help. I just wanna share that with you, I need you to pray for me, I need you to be my friend through this. That's what vulnerability looks like. It's this really powerful scene in a novel by the South African writer, Alan Patton, who wrote Cry the Beloved Country. Maybe you read that in high school or college, but famous novel. He wrote another novel in which it centers around a police lieutenant in South Africa named Pita. And Pita is living in this system of apartheid, so this system of racial oppression and injustice from which he is benefiting greatly. He's got that going on in his life. He's also struggling with depression. Um, he's also struggling with the fact that he's very attracted to a young woman in the community and he is on the verge of having an affair. And he sees himself just sort of getting sucked into this, although he's choosing to get into it. So he decides to go to his friend's house, his best friend. His best friend is a guy named Cappy, nicknamed Cappy. And Cappy and him have this hobby that they do. They, they collect stamps together. And they trade stamps and they listen to music and so they hang out together. This is what they do. So he goes over and he's going to go over and he says in his mind, I am going to tell Cappy everything that's going on. I'm going to tell him what I'm struggling with. I'm going to say and 
help me, Cappy. You gotta help me. You gotta get me out of this. My life is going the wrong direction. I need to do a U-turn, but I can't do it by myself. You need to help me. God needs to have mercy on me. So he shows up and he freaks out and he can't do any of that. So he just says, uh, Cappy, I'm just uh, here. I just want to look at your new stamps. So the whole night they look at stamps, they listen to music, and Cappy knows that something's going on because he knows his friend. So he says, as he turns to leave, he says, Peter, come over every night if you wish. He gives him an invitation, and he doesn't do it. He never comes back. He's never vulnerable. He never opens up. And Alan Patton says, you can almost just hear the, the, the passion in this. He says, ah, if he could have told, and yet he could not tell. He needs to change. He needs to do a U-turn. But he can't be vulnerable. Well, here's the thing, and I'll get to this a little bit more, but it is the good news of Christ that allows us to be vulnerable that allows us to repent. It's the mercy and grace of God. It's knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're accepted by him that allows us to be vulnerable, that allows us to repent, which leads us to the third thing, the joy of repentance. Luke, in his gospel, he talks a lot about, he's got these beautiful stories about repentance and what it looks like. So he doesn't spend a lot of time just analyzing it, but he shows, he tells stories about it, people meeting Jesus and repenting. And they're all really beautiful, and they're all, almost all connected. You find repentance fused with joy, like they're inseparable. They're part of the same event. It's not repent, wail, gnash your teeth, and then eventually you'll get to joy. They're sort of like tied together all at the same time. There's repentance. There's joy in repentance. There's, there's a joy that, that includes repentance. Here's two clues in this passage, in the message of John. He first of all says that it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the word Luke uses, he's a physician, he's a historian and he's a physician, and the word that he uses there is the word for a healing of a disease. So isn't that great news? That God not only wants to just wipe our sins clear, take them away, but he also wants to heal what is broken and what is diseased within us. I find that so encouraging. And the second thing is, the very end of this little mini sermon that John gives from the book of Isaiah, he says, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. All flesh will see, that just simply means you're gonna see God work in your life. You're gonna see God show up. You're gonna see God do something in your life that you never thought possible, that you never imagined. God is going to show up. We always like to think, well, God will show up when we're on the mountaintop, when everything's going great. And he can show up there. But sometimes God shows up when we're in the valley, when we're going through a season of repentance, when that word is pressing upon us. We can see the salvation of God there as well. Now, here's the amazing thing. John was pointing to Jesus. That's where it's, that's, I'm preparing, you're preparing for Jesus to come into your life. Jesus helps us repent. He's the source of forgiveness as we repent. It's not us like, oh, I'm over here standing alone repenting, and now, oh, now Jesus accepts me. 
Oh, he's over here. He's over here with me, helping me to repent, working in my life as I'm repenting. You know, often when I pray for people, when I see this in my own life, when somebody comes up to me and they say, I just, this is going on in my life and it's not right and it really needs to change and I need to do a U-turn. And when I see that in my own life, it's like, praise God. And they're like, what, why? I said, because God's working in you. The Lord is, he is stirring this up within you. We don't repent on our own. We don't think of it. The Lord can stir it up within us, this good work within us. So if you're in a season of repentance and you feel sad about something or you, you feel some urgency about something, praise God. The Lord is stirring that up in you. I love a story about uh, one of the stories that Luke tells about repentance is a story about Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, this little tax collector guy who's a shyster, who's in collusion with the Roman IRS collecting exorbitant taxes. And he meets Jesus, and he goes to Je Jesus, says, I'm coming to your house. I am coming to your house. Prepare the way of the Lord, because I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight, Zacchaeus. And he shows up, and they eat dinner together. You know, the funny thing is, in that story, we have no idea what Jesus said. We have no idea what Zacchaeus felt. Did he weep? Did he cry? Did he beg for forgiveness? We don't know. All we know is that after he met Jesus, when he encountered the Lord, when he met the Lord, he repented. He turned. He did a U-turn. So instead of collecting exorbitant taxes, Zacchaeus says to Jesus at the end of this meal, he says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. That is repentance. It's not just something in his head, it's something in his life. And Jesus says, and I think with great joy, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus, you have seen the salvation of God. You've seen the glory of the Lord. Since he also is a son of Abraham, and then Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Anytime there's an encounter with a repentant human being and the merciful, gracious love of Jesus who died for our sins, who rose again for us, there is joy. That's why I love this psalm. The church, in her wisdom, somehow tied this passage on repentance with this psalm of joy. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. I love the way the church has combined that together. You know, Advent is, I love Advent. Advent was actually my gateway into the church year, the whole church year, into liturgy, into the Anglican church. I started with Advent. And from there, it just, I fell in love with the church year. But Advent is the beginning of a new year. It's the beginning of a new Christian year, a new church year, a new walk with Jesus. And so at the very beginning of this year, we find this call to repent. So John the Baptist says, basically, slow down. Slow down that cranking of your brain, that ingrained thing that wants to bolt, that wants to run, that wants to just do it your way. Slow it down. Listen. Maybe spend some extra time 
opening your Bible, reading the daily office readings, maybe asking, Lord, what do you have to say to me? Maybe the Lord will speak to you in a song or in the service or in Holy Communion. The Lord will reveal something to you. You'll say, oh, man, I have to do a U-turn. Do not be discouraged. Don't be sad about that because you have the opportunity to turn around, to experience the Lord. And remember, Jesus, you're not doing it alone. He's doing it with you. It's really clear what to say at Christmas. We say, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I just feel like I'd like to add something new to the church vocabulary. Joyful repentance. Have a joyful repentance. I mean, you can. So I say this Advent, have joy in your repentance because you know it might be hard, it might be painful, it might cost you a lot, but you're going to get to joy and the Lord will get you there. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.